this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafting the very best guitar pickups all the way down in Detroit, Rock City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. To support the No Sleep Till Sudbury show on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash Music. Folks, today I'm joined by famous underground Moxie, classic album's live vocalist and former vocalist of the Juno Award-winning rock band Slick Toxic, Mr. Nick Walsh. After first having been a Slick Toxic fan and then meeting Nick years later, I've always wanted to host him on the show. And today is the day. Here he is, Nick Walsh. Nick Walsh, it has been a long time, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I uh, you know, saw the nice words that were mentioned to me on on another podcast, mm. and uh, they were saying that you should get me on your show, and and you reached out days days after, if not hours. <laughs> yeah, I was saying in the intro that I've been wanting to have you for a long time, and it just never worked out. Um, right. You know, being a slick toxic fan back in the day, and right. then you know, you and I had met. You'd read my first book, and yep. uh, I told that story actually on the podcast. I think of the cool, the really cool thing that you did. Um, I said, "Can I have a picture um, of you with the book that I can use for you know media purposes?" That's right. And I, said, sure. and I said, "Where do you want me to drop the case of beer off?" And you said, "Listen, like you don't have to do that. Buy me a beer when we're at the bar the next time you see me." And I thought that was really cool. And we haven't met at a bar since. You still owe me a beer. There's one back here. I- Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Standing invite. So listen, you are a very, very busy guy. Thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Where do you want to start? You've got so much going on right now. Do you want to start I know. with? Yeah, it's, it's crazy because first and foremost, I do have so much going on right now, mm-hmm. but it almost seems as though I don't because this is my regular, like everybody always says, oh, you're so hardworking. You're so this and that. It's just what I do and it's yeah. what I've always done. You know, some people say, I have a hard time keeping up with your energy. I go, energy, I'm tired. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know? So yeah, I got a lot going on. Um, the, the latest, I guess the latest news to, to become public was that, uh, Craig Martin, founder and CEO of Classic Albums Live asked me and, uh, I gracefully accepted, graciously accepted rather. To become the general manager of Classic Albums Live, which is a company that's been, this is celebrating, they're celebrating the 19th year this year, Mm -hmm. uh, this past April. So, you know, to do what I've done throughout my career and to be asked at my age now to be in a corporate role, like it's quite (laughs) funny because I even say to my mom, oh, mom, I'm a suit now. And my mom goes, oh, are you going to be wearing a suit? I said, no, 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 no. no. It, it means that <laughs> I'm on the other side of the fence now, you know, but um, it's not like that. At Classic Albums Live, first and foremost, Craig, he also is a musician and an artist. So mm-hmm. this whole organization is based off of creativity and, and, and coming from those roots. So that's why everybody thinks that I would be perfect for the job mm-hmm. because I've been dealing with this stuff my whole life, you know, from a, from a band leader perspective to road managing to mm-hmm. producing. managing, producing, yeah. you know, media. I, so every facet of the, of the business, I've 
had to be involved with just out of bare necessity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a great honor to take this on. I've actually been singing. I've actually been a performer with classic albums live this July. I'll be celebrating my eighth year. Oh, wow. That many. Yeah. So time flies. And, you know, within the eight years, I've, I've luckily been able to be involved with many different projects. Mm -hmm. So that's what keeps me busy other than my family life. And, um, I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way, Brent. No, I know. Um, and the latest one is Led Zeppelin two that you're involved with. And that run just wrapped up, I think in the U S and you have, yes, I got, I have one more date here in uh, Toronto, Canada. We're doing Roy Thompson hall on uh, June the 3rd. Yes. Yeah. It's a Friday night. And that'll wrap. I've been, I've been touring that with the Led Zeppelin crew extensively since uh, mid January, like since things started opening up again, it's just been nonstop. I've literally, I was home five days in April, and the last time my wife said, like, it's nice of you to come home to do your laundry kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm glad I'm glad to be stationary now for a few weeks to get some rest. Good. Good for you. You started that in the, you're in the Maritimes, right? And then you went down to that the US. Was one, that was one. We, we actually, we were in Ohio, then California. Like, we bounce all over the place oh, okay. because- some shows are driving shows because mm -hmm. they're further north in the U.S. And then other shows are fly shows. So I personally, since I guess March or February even, but since since the end of March, right up until this past weekend, was in four different time zones in five weeks. It's very fatiguing on your body, especially when you're not 23 anymore. Of course. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we were in California with it. We were, we did a run out in Alberta with it. We were in the maritime. So it was like California. Then like come home for a day. Yeah. Try to get acclimated to Eastern time. Then all of a sudden we're in the maritimes in three days. Oh, wow. And then I'm out there for, you know, a little over a week. Yeah. And then I, then it's like fly to Alberta, you know, fly to, so, oh. Wow. Yeah. Now Bathroom breaks. Sleeping breaks, eat it. You don't even know what is it dinner or is it breakfast right now? I don't know. No kidding. You know? Yeah. Now, what are some of the things that you do to keep your voice up when you're on the road in that capacity? Well, what I do personally, um, you know, again, it's not like I'm in my 20s and I'm a noob out on the road. Hmm. Um, I warm up. I specifically, when I'm going out west and, and these winter, it was winter a few weeks ago, if you recall. Oh, yes. um, I, I bring a humidifier for my room, cool mist humidifier for my bedroom mm -hmm. or hotel room, rather. I have a facial steamer that I keep backstage that I help moisten my cords. A lot of people don't realize that. Okay, first and foremost, singing is one thing as far as, uh, you know, hey, I can sing. But you have to have an ear to be able to sing. So that's the first thing. You have to hear pitch and, and tone and all this stuff to be able to sing. Secondly, if you're already a singer, the best advice I can give you is rest and hydration are the key. So the days of, you know, going out to a bar after a gig and whooping it up <laughs> till three o'clock in the morning, yelling and screaming over another live band in a club, yeah. that's gone. You don't do that. Yeah. That's, you have to learn that shit the hard way. 
And I learned it the hard way back in the slick toxic days. You know, oh, really? we were out, we were out with Ingve Malmstein for two months in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we were playing six nights a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first few shows, it was kind of like, I was like, what am I going to do? I have no voice. Right. Oh, no. Calling, calling, calling my vocal coach back home here in Toronto. And she's, you know, telling me what to go buy at the, at the drugstore to help get out of it. And really at the end of the day, after that tour, I, I quit smoking cigarettes. Mm. I, I learned that if I was going to party with the gang, it should be the last night of a thing before a day off mm-hmm. so that I have that day to recuperate and, and whatever, yep. get a good night's sleep the next night, all that stuff, and do it again. But yeah, the way it works for me now is, as I said, I bring the humidifier. I, I have the facial steamer for before the show. Uh, I drink so much water that the problem about drinking so much water is that, especially at my age, again, it's like when I go to bed at night, you know, I'm up that's every right. hour on the hour exactly. using the toilet. Yeah. But that's what that's what melatonin is for. So I take melatonin before bed ah. so that I can go conk into a nice deep sleep. And if I do get up to use the bathroom, I go back to my bed and I'm in a dream again already. Wow. You know, gone are the days of using booze or anything else to try to put you to sleep because that doesn't really put you to sleep you know it just kind of turns you off for a little while but you're not really getting the energy energized yeah so that's that's kind of what i do and i warm up before every show and i warm up multiple times a day in 10 minute intervals Mm -hmm. so uh and a lot of a lot of people don't realize that hydration you know standing on stage and drinking water doesn't actually moisten your vocal cord like it doesn't actually the water doesn't get absorbed into your vocal cord that just helps your dry mouth okay um in order to be hydrated you need to be drinking hours and hours before right you sing okay so that the the water can get into your system and basically you know get into your vocal cords <laughs> hmm oh good tips what's going on with uh famous underground these days well, Famous Underground, uh, just prior to the pandemic, we had almost finished a full-length record. Mm-hmm. Fifteen songs, actually, uh, were recorded. Mm. And some of them some of them are still, uh, I've got a few tracks to do still, like a couple of them need me to do my vocal takes, and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Uh, a couple of guitar solos, stuff like that. But the original plan was to release it in 2020. Oh. And the whole world was in limbo in 2020. Right. So we call that the sort of the lost year, right? We <laughs> lost it. Um, so last year, what myself and, and Lori Green, who's the bass player and my business partner with Famous Underground, uh, we decided, well, because we really don't know what's going on still, we're mm. still in a pandemic. I mean, it might be an endemic for some of us who are vaxxed and everything that we can try to go back to. Like I've been on airplanes and I've been everywhere and I still test negative, right? Because I'm diligent with what I'm doing. So point I'm getting at is, you know, we don't know. Come fall, it could all shut down again. Yeah. So we decided let's let's break it up into multiple releases and we'll just do EPs because Perfect. we're not touring specifically. We don't even know what's going on. You know, even with Classic Albums Live, which has got a schedule. Like, for example, I know what's happening with Classic Albums Live up until the end of 2023, I even see starts of 2024 dates. Oh, wow. The point I'm getting at is even with bigger touring professionals, a lot of stuff was put on the back burner, put on hold, 
and then rescheduled and then put on the back burner and rescheduled. So back with Famous Underground, we just decided, listen, we'll break up this album into three EPs. Well, last year we released In My Reflection, mm-hmm. uh, which could be part one of In My Reflection. I don't know if this, this next EP is going to continue on the same name, okay. uh, you know, or if I'll rena- uh, give it a new name or, you know what I'm saying? Like, will it be In My Reflection part two, considering it, it's all part of a, uh, an album. Uh, a catalog collection of songs. Mm-hmm. It could still be that. Or am I going to give it a new name for marketing purposes? I don't. But the point is, uh, last year we released In My Reflection with five songs, two videos. This year we're going to do the same. Perfect. Um, this one might be four songs. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we've got a single coming out at the end of the month. Good. Uh, which you'll start to see a little bit of promo for probably next week track called sludge garden which i think is really uh relevant to the times right now that we're living in i mean with everything going on politically around the world everything going on uh with with health issues and global warming and all this stuff you know it's pretty relevant i i'm not 21 singing about going to the bar with the boys and picking up chicks anymore that's right and nor do i want to do that again Nostalgia is a very powerful thing, and some guys still want to do that, and all the power to them. Mm-hmm. But my son even has a laugh when I put on, like, Christine 16 or something, and, <laughs> and Gene wasn't even 70 at the time right. when he wrote that. He was still too. My son says, was he driving by in a white van by yeah. the high school? You know, it's, because now, you know, we were having a laugh uh, uh, about songs the other night at She's only 17, uh, right. uh, Christine 16, uh, Sexy and 17. Like all these songs that, you know, from the 50s, you could sing about teenage girls and all that stuff, even if you were a grown-up. And it just it doesn't fly anymore. So point being is I have no interest anymore. I, I'm a married guy with a 16-year-old son, mm. and social issues seem to be what, you know, sort of drives my train of thought, I guess you could say. You know, whether it be inspired by a movie, a documentary, a story, a news item, I get my inspiration from the world. I don't get it from the, the tiny little, you know, when you're a teenage boy or, or in your early 20s, you got your collective, which in my case was my band, Slick Toxic, that was the gang. And, you know, our train of thought was we were going to take over the world and, and, you know, pick up hot chicks and... <laughs> You know, I, again, I always, I always say this when it was like, you know, uh, the days of, of uh, wanting to hang out at the Playboy Mansion, those fled a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but when you're, when you're young and, and ready to do, do what we wanted to do, I mean, the idea was, you know, I want to buy a Porsche and I want to hang out at the, at the Playboy Mansion and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so I don't sing about that anymore. Uh, so the Sludge Garden, which will be out at the end of the month, and then a few other songs that attack different types of social issues, you mm-hmm. know, will be on the EP. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. One of my it. favorite, if you don't mind me talking, one of my no, favorite tracks, one of my favorite tracks that uh, is on this thing, which will be released as a summer single, okay. and a video will be done for it, is a song called Love Grenade. Mm. And it's basically, I mean, we're living in an era right now, Brent, where Somebody who's a stalker doesn't have to be walking past your house multiple times a day. Now they all do it via, you know. That's right. Creeping your Instagrams and, and Facebooks and 
TikToks and whatnot. So, you know, the song, this song Love Grenade is kind of one of those situational songs where there's some dude that I guess is losing his marbles a bit because he seems to think having interaction with some Instagram model or whatever online amounts to a relationship. Oh, God. So, you know, so wait till you hear that one. It's a really hooky <laughs> tune, but it, um, when you delve into the, the concept, it's kind of dark. Like my my dad even says, "Oh, I don't like I don't like the concept of that song. I don't like that." And I'm like, "But it's a really catchy, good song. I don't care. I don't want to hear it." Oh, really? Yeah. See, he was listening to the lyric pretty closely then. Well, that's what my dad does. He's been one of next to me. He's my biggest critic. So. Oh, really? Nice. Was he a big Slick Toxic fan? Oh yeah, he uh, he was the Slick Toxic dad, so to speak. And, that is how how he, cool is that though, Nick? Really? He, he, well. You know, I was fortunate enough that when I started playing music professionally, I was 14 and I was playing in nightclubs like Larry's Hideaway, which is a famous Toronto uh, nightclub for hard rock and heavy metal. Some huge bands played at Larry's, mm. right? Or, or some, I don't want to say huge, but some, some big bands that uh, like part of the, the big thrash scene and stuff like that played at Larry's. You know, guys like, like Slayer or, or Merciful Fate and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anvil, you know, Razor, whatever. And my band at the time, Virgin Angel. So I was fortunate that from the time I was that young, I mean, my bands, my, my family house was the band house. Like, so we rehearsed in my parents' basement. You know, my father and mother took the band out for dinners. And, wow. you know, we're, they were there throughout everything. And, you know, for myself, not just me, but my band members, I mean, they had a haven. They had a, they had a music safe haven to go like, some of the guys in the band, especially in the early years, whose parents didn't quite believe in their dreams and goals. Right. My parents did. My parents wholeheartedly supported it, right? So, that yeah, so great. cool. Yeah, my, my dad's, uh, he's from Birkenhead, which is basically like uh, Liverpool, England. And, mm. you know, Beatles were a big part of my household and 50s music. So, you know, right from the get-go, from a young man, I, I used to be able to put on records my my... Uh, I've got two older brothers, nine, 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I heard a lot of music through them as well. So I was, I was fortunate to hear generations of music before I discovered my own, which my own really was, you know, in the seventies as a kid, it was like Kiss, Alice Cooper, Queen, Aerosmith, ACDC in the late seventies. Like, uh, and I, you know, I would say that was pretty much it for me. I mean, if you looked at my record collection as a kid, that's all I had, and maybe Angel, um, but you know, Casablanca band, whatever. But those records were were my things as a kid in the seventies. But the music I discovered myself was like the Iron Maidens, the Dio's, the Twisted Sisters, the the uh, Merciful Fates, the Metallicas, all that stuff. Yeah. That was my Motley Crue. That was all my music. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was fortunate enough to, like I say, like my brothers had Aerosmith records, Zeppelin records you name it, all those other records that when they weren't home, I was sneaking in their room and, and playing. So, <laughs> See, that's funny because you and I have said before, like we have the same opinions on this stuff and we're, we're about the same age. I turned 53 in a couple of weeks. Right. And so I felt like that music was written for me because it was Motley Crue and, and Maiden in 1984, Power Slave, that sort of stuff. Dude, I saw that tour with Twisted Sister opening up mm -hmm. and that was Twisted Sister uh, on the Stay Hungry tour, yeah. so man, to see Power Slave and Stay Stay Hungry, like like right now again, I'm 
I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I mean, I had six row floors. And how old was I? I was 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, you're like 13. Crazy. I know. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, but, you know, like the Zeppelins and the Aerosmiths and even, you know, Stones and the Beatles, I didn't discover that until much later. I didn't have an older brother to kind of, you know, go through his record collection. In university, I found out about that stuff. Like I said, I... I had my dad to hear uh, sort of like pre-70s music and mm-hmm. my brothers to hear post-70s music. I mean, my brother and my brothers, are, they were polar opposites, right? Oh. One was into harder edge stuff uh, like the Nazareths, the Molly Hatchets, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the other one was into things like, you know, Billy Joel and, and uh, Elton John and stuff. So... I got the best of, of, of both worlds. That's all amazing. Worlds. Then, like I, w- what we were just talking about, then when the discovery of our own sort of era, that's right, uh, music happened. That was that was really good. Oh, I mean, yeah. for for me, when I the first time I heard "Piece of Your Action" by Motley Crue, I was like, "This is one of the heaviest tracks I've ever heard," and I always wanted to cover it since, and I never did. But it was one of those things that, I mean, we could talk about songs. You told me to pick five songs. Well, there's way more than five songs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could do five hours of songs and how they hit me and what they did to me and at what point pivotal uh, uh, shifts happened mm-hmm. in my way of thinking about music or my way of thinking about image or my way of, th- you know, anything. There, there was different things that just, you know, gave me a slight little bend in the branch. Mm-hmm. And now it's opening up. You know, like like the root of a tree or the or the branches, how they spread out. Now, now it's opening up different things. So I don't know if you want to get to that, or I, should we talk about slick toxic? <laughs> let's talk about slick toxic first, and then we'll get into your tunes because I want to know okay. what's going on with them. Okay, well, there's no reunion or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, uh, to have a proper slick toxic reunion, you need everybody who is involved. I mean, some people may not agree with me, but that doesn't matter because the facts are the facts. You know, a lot of people have asked me, why don't you re-record the songs? And I said, well, because then they're just songs with me singing on them. Those songs that were recorded on Doing the Nasty and Smooth and Deadly and even Irrelevant, the second record, those were capturing a moment in time mm-hmm. and that moment in time involved everyone who was involved it wasn't just me i couldn't just make although i was the primary songwriter uh uh myself and, and my lyrical partner david marcel you know i i play guitar a lot of people for years didn't even know that i played guitar meanwhile i wrote you know i'd say 70 percent of the slick toxic riffs and song mm-hmm. arrangements so and wrote the melodies of the vocals and some of the lyrics with Dave. And, but I wanted it to be a family. So I wanted everybody, I wanted to be inclusive, right? I didn't want it to be a, a dictatorship. I wanted it to be a democracy. Was I pissed off when they voted against me? Absolutely. But this is part of what a democracy is. You know, you rally for certain things. And if it doesn't go your way, you have to accept it. But yeah, so with the slick toxic thing, it couldn't. We couldn't do a reunion because some of the guys are just, uh, what's the word, clinically unable, uh, mentally unable, physically unable mm-hmm. uh, to do it. Now, have I toyed with the idea of going out and doing Slick Toxic songs myself? Absolutely. Because why? Why not? I've been playing them in all my solo acts since Slick Toxic. Famous Underground? 
we open up the vault all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen an FU show, but you know, sometimes we break out White Lies, Hell of a Time, Sweet Asylum, Midnight Grind. We've done it for 20 years. I've been singing Slick Toxic songs, so it's not new to me. Yeah, it might it might be new to somebody who you know hasn't been in a band playing those songs, and they like the idea of it. But I don't want to go down that road again. Yeah. Will I do? Will I do Nick Toxic? That's something I've been toying with for 15 years. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's your yeah, Instagram well, handle. That's my that's my everything handle because. I was either known as Slick Nick or Nick Toxic. Yeah. And uh, I like Nick Toxic better. I do too. You know? I think it's really cool. Yeah. So will I do that? You never know. I'm not going to say never to that one, mm. but I will say never to Slick Toxic. Yeah. Not happening. I get that. I get that. I think that would be a great compromise. So part of the Slick Toxic thing is that for years, the records were just not available in the cyberspace area and i often wondered why and i had no idea uh, you know i'd be honest with you with all this controversy that surrounded slick toxic back in the day you know we were like the gnr of canada I, there was nothing but if, if we were in the states i mean even my u.s friends who are u.s who are who have been in big u.s bands they even say with some of the controversy that surrounded slick toxic back in the day if that were the u.s we would have made the cover of rolling stone mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know uh, but this is Canada. We're apologetic. We try to hide those things. We have to be all nicey nice. So I often thought, oh, maybe we're just blackballed because I don't hear, you know, white lies and hell of a time on classic rock radio, which I should be. I mean, hell, we were Juno Award winners, gold selling artists. Uh, we cleaned up at the MMVAs that year. Yeah, there was just a lot of accolades that uh, we achieved in such a short period of time that we, we disappeared from the history book, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I started to dig and inquire and all that, as it turned out, I think it was 2011 that EMI was absorbed, their catalog, catalog was absorbed by Universal. Oh, okay. So once I got through those channels and spoke to the people at Universal involved, they didn't even know that it wasn't out. There's a lot of artists who are sitting in limbo right now mm-hmm. in the Universal Archives that they don't even know how to get their music out or anything like that. So if anybody's listening, the advice to you is Universal absorbed the EMI catalog. So you need to talk to somebody in, in that uh, at that company. But yeah, they didn't even know it wasn't out. So it took coordinating for over a year. Brent, I had started talking to them December of 2020. Okay. And because of last year, again, 2021 being hit and miss, hit and miss, hit and miss, people not going into the office, this and that, there was a lot of, a lot of jumping through flaming hoops to get it out. Finally came out at the end of November. This past March, we just celebrated our 30th anniversary of the record. And next in line is the, uh, what I'd say is the prequel, which was the EP that we'd released prior to doing the nasty called Smooth and Deadly. Yes. That'll be, that'll be out uh, again in the digital space probably, uh, by summer. Awesome. If not summer, it's going to definitely be fall. It will be this year, but again, with everything going on, you know, it's, it's hard to pin down a date. So I don't have to listen to my cassette anymore then. Well, you'll have to listen to the cassette of Smooth and Deadly, but you can go on Spotify right now and listen to doing the nasty. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I hadn't really listened to it in a long time. And the day it, it was released on, on Spotify, my wife and I had a couple of cocktails 
in front of my stereo system and listen to it via the internet and translated great because you know a lot of and it's not remastered a lot of artists are you know they're all remastering and this and that but if you don't know this as well i mean you get what's called a loudness penalty so what what that means is all of this digital uh streaming providers they all have their threshold much how much like how a radio station has a limiter that it can only be pushed so hard well they've got a limiter as well and a threshold so if you record your music louder than their threshold they automatically reduce the decibel level oh so what happens is your music doesn't end up sounding the way you intended right so if you listen to uh as an example if you listen to uh famous underground first record uh the what we would call the our black album it's just called famous underground self-titled it doesn't sound as loud as in my reflection and the reason why is because i mixed and mastered in my reflection for streaming media Ah. i did two versions of it one for pressing and one for streaming and it translates the way you want to hear it and it translates Again, a lot of people who who mix don't understand this in this day and age, and a lot of the young guys need to take notice of this, is you need to also test your mixes in mono. I mean, a lot of people are just listening to their music on a a tablet or a phone these days, or even like, for example, I have uh, one of my uh, things that I listen to as a reference is I have a a mono Sonos speaker, Bluetooth uh, Wi-Fi speaker. So if I listen to my mix on there and I go, hey, where the hell did that guitar go? Yeah. Then I come back into my studio and check the mix and I check the, the, the spectrum where it is. It's too much in the stereo spectrum that, you know, I need to maybe place it a little bit better in my mix. And then all of a sudden when I listen, I hit my mono button here in my studio. Ah, there it is, right? Yes. So back to this loudness penalty thing. So I mixed that specifically for that. But doing the nasty was mixed and mastered in 1991. Right. So... It was mastered in a day prior to the big loudness wars. So it translates amazing online because it's not, it, it wasn't mastered to be, we want it to be the loudest sounding freaking record ever. It wasn't mastered for that. It was just mastered to sound good on a stereo through a CD. So it translates pretty good on, on we didn't get penalized. I'll tell you that much on, on streaming media. It translated amazing. And so when I listened to it, I was like, I'm looking at my wife going, this is a pretty good fucking record, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm actually pretty proud. I spent years kind of like not listening to it, maybe because of some of the bad taste certain things left in my mouth. I'd hear it once in a while, but I really sat down and listened to it from top to tail. I got to say, I'm pretty damn proud good. of it. Good. That's great. I'm going to give it a spin when we're done here. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a good segue into uh, your tunes here. You sent me five awesome songs. All right, that concludes part one of my chat with Nick Walsh. Come back next time to find out what Nick's songs are and what he has to say about them. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Nick Walsh. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Subway, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.